Jesus was cruelly put to death, though he'd done nothing wrong. But through his death, he dealt with our sin. And death could not hold him. He rose from the dead and is alive, victorious. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts from your word and change us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. For his name's sake. Amen. Please take a seat and turn to Psalm 21 on page 553 of the Bibles. Psalm 21 comes after Psalm 20. You say, tell me something I didn't know. But it is important. The book of Psalms is not just some random collection of songs and prayers. Psalm 21 is closely connected to Psalm 20. And Psalm 20 affirmed that God's people will shout out in praise when the Lord is victorious. And now after the battle, in Psalm 21, there is indeed joy, verse 1, and glory, verse 5, through the Lord's victories. Clearly the Lord has answered earlier prayer and faith, both in personal and national blessing. You can see that in verses 3 to 5. And in response, King David rejoices in the Lord's strength. Are we praying in faith for personal, church, and national matters, believing that God will answer prayer? Do you have faith in a great God who has won the victory and is in control. Someone passed this true story from the USA to me. Texas Beer Joint sues local church over lightning strike. A bar called Drummond's in Mount Vernon, Texas, began construction on an expansion of their building, hoping to grow their business. In response, the local Southern Baptist Church started a campaign to block the bar from expanding, petitions, prayers, etc. About a week before the bar's grand reopening, a bolt of lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. Afterwards, the church folks were rather smug, bringing about the power of prayer. The angry bar owner eventually sued the church on, on the grounds that the church was ultimately responsible for the demise of the building through direct actions or indirect means. Of course, the church then vehemently denied all responsibility or any connection to the building's demise. The judge read through the plaintiff's complaint and the defendant's reply. He then opened the hearing by saying this, I don't know how I'm going to decide this. But it appears from the paperwork that what we have here is a bar owner who now believes in the power of prayer and an entire church congregation that does not. <laughs> well, what about us? Now, God always answers humble, believing prayer. The answer is either yes, no, or not yet. 
So how do we respond when the answer is no or not yet? Well, we can get frustrated, disappointed, or down. When our proposal for the school was turned down, I was angry, hopefully righteously. Not at God, but at the decision makers. But God is working his purpose out. We rejoice in that fact, and we must continue to trust him. So how do we respond when the answer is yes? Do we just think that's great and move on? Do we just take God for granted? Or do we rejoice in the Lord, in his strength, acknowledging that it's his victory? Are we grateful and thankful to God, or do we just assume or presume on him? A three-year-old girl was visiting someone with her father. The girl spotted some bananas on the table, and the person gave her one. The father said to his little girl, what do you say? The little girl looked at the banana and thrust it forward to the woman and said, peel it. (laughs) Now, what might be excusable in a very young child would be rude and ungrateful from those who are older. Yet how many of us fall into the trap of treating God that way? by our failure to thank him. Jesus taught this lesson well on the occasion of his encounter with ten lepers. They asked him to have pity upon them, which he did by healing them. All of the lepers were delighted that Jesus removed this awful disease from them. But only one returned to give thanks to Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. That's Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 90. A Samaritan who had faith. So if we've put our faith in Christ, have we developed a thankful heart? Do we regularly spend time every day thanking God for his deliverance of us? For his grace and mercy to us? Do we thank God for those specific times when God comes to our aid and delivers us from some trial or difficulty? Well, we'll only return thanks in those specific times if we're thanking him daily for his general blessings. We are to be a thankful people, not just an asking people. And of course, a thankful people are also a giving and a serving people. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 is a neat summary of how we should be growing in Christ as his disciples. So then, Paul writes, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. One of the features of London 2012 was the joy of the crowds as they celebrated the athlete's strength and victories. And verse 1 opens Psalm 21 in great joy for the Lord's strength and victories. And verse 13 concludes in prayer and praise for the Lord to be exalted and for his strength and might. This past and future reference is reflected respectively in verses 2 to 7 of this psalm, looking back on victory And then verses 8 to 12, looking forward 
to victory. A coming divine victory that is total, supernatural, final, and irresistible. So this psalm points also to King Jesus. His unity with God the Father. His victory over sin, death, and the devil. And His return. And speaks of how we should respond with faith. Living lives of obedience in the Lord's strength. Overflowing with thankfulness. So first, looking back. Celebration for past victories. Verses 1 through 7. The king is celebrating. He rejoices in the Lord, in his strength, in his victories, and for answering his prayer. Verse 1, O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories you give. The king's prayer had obviously been heartfelt and serious. Look at verse 2, you have granted him the desire of his heart and have not withheld the request of his lips. So are there lessons here for our prayer and praise life? The Lord had granted King David the desire of his heart. Does that mean we can ask expecting to receive any desire that we have? No. Here it was the desire and a heart that was evidently in tune with the Lord's will. And his request in line two is better translated longing. When did you last think of a prayer request as a prayer longing? What are you longing for in prayer? And is it in tune with the Lord's will? The Lord did not withhold the longing of his lips. His prayer was not vague but specific. And it was meant, it was longed for. And the king believed God could answer his prayer. It wasn't some vague wish, but specifically desired. Trusting in the Lord. And for the glory of the Lord. Is that the kind of prayer we pray? Are our hearts' desire in line with the Lord's? Not my will, but yours as Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. Now the Lord knows our needs before we ask him. That's Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8. So we may be thinking, well, why pray then? Well, he wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to him and ask him because he wants a relationship with us. And he knows that prayer changes us so that we depend more on him. Look at verse 3. You welcomed him with rich blessings and placed a crown of pure gold on his head. You see, the word welcomed in verse 3 means literally to get ahead of or get there first. The Lord anticipates our needs and awaits us with prepared blessings where we expected trouble. He goes before us. Isn't that a great encouragement? God's plan and purposes will prevail. Look at verse 4. He asked you for life and you gave it to him. 
length of days forever and ever. The king was in deadly danger, and he asked for life, and his prayer was answered. He was given life, and not just for then, but also eternal life. Perhaps someone here tonight is in deadly danger. Perhaps you're in deadly danger physically. But your faith is in the Lord. Then you can trust Him. He will be with you. And you have the assurance of everlasting life. Literally meaning life with God forever. Whatever time the Lord grants us here on earth, we will be with Him in heaven forever through faith in Jesus Christ who through his death and resurrection has won that victory over sin, death, and the devil. Or perhaps you're in deadly danger because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, again, we're to trust him. You see, ultimately, if our faith is in Jesus Christ, we can never be shaken, as verse 7 puts it, because of the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That's Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Or perhaps you're in deadly danger spiritually because you're not yet trusting in Jesus. Your rebellion against God still separates you from Him. Well, why not trust Him with your sin tonight? And know His grace, His mercy, and His love. Receive His gift of eternal life. You see, God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's been wonderful, hasn't it, watching so many British athletes achieving gold. But the God-given victory through Christ is so far more valuable and lasting. And it doesn't depend on what we have done or achieved, but on what God has done. You see, this forever and ever in verse 4 also points to the endless reign of the Lord Jesus. Verses 5 and 6 are also prophetic along with verses 3 and 4. Through the victories you gave, His glory is great. You have bestowed on Him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him eternal blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Here we see the unity of the king with his father. Christ emerges from the bitter conflict of Calvary, crowned with glory and victory. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus willingly and obediently humbled himself even to death on a cross to pay for my sin and yours. Therefore, Philippians 2 goes on, God exalted him to the highest place. He raised Jesus from the dead, who then shortly afterwards ascended into heaven and is now reigning at the Father's right hand and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Jesus is now interceding for us. How can we not be thankful and encouraged by all of that? We are on the victor's side. We can trust him in the battles we face. Indeed, as 2 Chronicles states, ultimately the battle is not ours, but the Lord's. Who needs to hear that tonight? The battle is not ours, but the Lord's. Will you trust Him as you put your head above the parapet for Him today? And David is encouraged as he looks back at what the Lord has done. And he's trusting in the Lord. And we can be too, and even more so. Look at verse 7, the central verse of Psalm 21, which is a declaration of faith. For the king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love of the Most High. He will not be shaken. Those who trust in the Lord will know the unfailing love of the Most High, of God the Father. And because of that love, they will not be shaken. While King David reigned, he knew the truth of that verse. Through the unfailing love of the Most High, he will not be shaken, and neither will be the eternal reign of King Jesus. And that too is a great encouragement for us. He is and he will be interceding for us. The victory has been won. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He is coming again. The Lord is near and in control. I've known several Christians who've gone through serious illnesses recently who have known God's unfailing love. And while they've been stirred, they've not been shaken. And one day, we will reign with Christ. Because of God's amazing love that He's lavished on us, And because of Christ's victory, those who trust in Christ are co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that amazing? Well, all that brings us secondly to looking ahead. Anticipation of future victories, verses 8 to 12. And most commentators agree that this section is addressed to the king. And the emphasis now is on the future victories God will give David and Israel because they have faith in the living God. But again, the psalm also looks forward to the one born of David's line, the Messiah, God the Son, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and the victory He will have, and that His people will share in through faith in Him. And again, the psalm celebrates that unity between the King and Father God. Look at verses 8 to 12. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. At the time of your appearing, you will make them like a fiery furnace. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up, and his fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth, their posterity from mankind. Though they plot evil against you and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. For you will make them turn their backs when you aim at them withdrawn bow. God's right hand is more than a symbol of power. It actively works for his people and brings defeat to their enemies. When Jesus appears at his second coming, those who have genuinely accepted him as their Savior and their Lord will have eternal life. 
But those who've rejected and opposed him and persecuted his followers to the end will go away to eternal punishment. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 6 to 10. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to, to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. Now, of course, we are to pray for our enemies and ask that they might repent and trust in Christ, that in his wrath God might remember mercy. That's the prayer of the wife I and my family met last year of the missionary who was shot dead in West Africa. She's amazingly praying for that person who shot her husband dead. But if there is no repentance and faith in Christ, they will face judgment. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up and his fire will consume them. This is a serious warning. And a reminder that though they plot evil against the king and his people and devise wicked schemes, they cannot succeed. Verse 11. Jesus was cruelly put to death, though he'd done nothing wrong. But through his death, he dealt with our sin. And death could not hold him. He rose from the dead and is alive, victorious. He's seated at God's right hand with his enemies becoming a footstool for his feet, says Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13. Ultimately, as Ephesians 6 reminds us, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But Jesus has defeated the devil. Yes, the devil is still wandering around looking for someone to devour, but he's been dealt a fatal blow. And Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 tells us that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So thirdly and finally, looking up, exaltation of the Lord of the victories. Verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, David writes, in your strength, we will sing and praise your might. So we're not just to look back and forward, but also up and rejoice for what he has done and will do and give him the glory for the victory he has won. And what does true rejoicing result in? Well, this verse tells us that the true rejoicing results in prayer that the Lord will be exalted or lifted up on high, that he will be glorified. Usain Bolt declared himself the greatest athlete to have ever lived after winning the 100 and 200 meters at successive Olympics. And that may be true, but the glory goes to God. And when he's exalted, 
than to sing and praise his might, or literally make music to him, is what follows. Well, we can rejoice that he is risen, ascended, reigning, and in control today. So yes, we're to pray that his name would not be taken in vain, but rather exalted in this city and country. But we're also to sing and praise his mighty power in the light of his victory. Making fitting music to the Lord is so important. It's an important part of our worship here at JPC. And singing and praising God will be part of our perfect worship of him in heaven, following King Jesus' return in glory and power. Revelation chapter 7, verses 10 and 12, gives us a glimpse of the great multitude in heaven. And notice, there will be a great multitude in heaven, crying out in a loud voice. And with this, I conclude in both prayer and praise. Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.